The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. COVID 19 pandemic continuing coverage on 630 Chad. So as we head into today's update, just uh, as, as I mentioned beforehand, just so you know, 877 confirmed recovered cases of COVID-19 in the province. In total, 1,732 cases in the province, 81 new cases yesterday, and we had two more deaths yesterday, bringing the total to 46. Um, a lot of you saying, okay, what about you know, a little bit more specifics? And I'm going to tell you, you can find a lot of that at alberta.ca. I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, later. But there's been over 1,100 cases in the Calgary zone and 399 cases in the Edmonton zone. 47 people are in hospital right now, 14 in intensive care. Let's go to the news conference. We'll head to the legislature where Health Minister Tyler Shandro is starting the news conference this afternoon. And thank you and uh, hello everyone. I'm here today to recognize a group often overlooked and yet essential to the well-being of over a million Albertans, family and informal caregivers. Not only do these caregivers improve the lives of those they care for, they also have a tremendous impact on our health system. Estimates indicate the value of their time to be around 5.8 billion dollars. This is an enormous contribution and one we don't think about and recognize nearly enough. This pandemic impacts all of us and many of the regular touch points in our lives have been removed or drastically changed. Dr. Hinshaw keeps reminding us that we're in this together. For most of us, this means practicing physical distancing and for many of us, working from home. But for caregivers, their care and their work does not stop. They carry the great responsibility of being entrusted with the care of another person every day. We know that caregivers are likely feeling the additional stress of the pandemic. The act of caring for another person takes on added urgency. And many may feel or begin to feel being overwhelmed a completely natural reaction. This is why I'm pleased to announce today that we are providing a $3 million grant to Caregivers Alberta to expand their services. This will allow more Alberta caregivers to benefit from things like a province-wide inventory of caregiver supports, expanded hours for the caregiver advisory uh, phone line, a referral system linking caregivers with Caregivers Alberta through healthcare providers, and updated and expanded support programs. Our ability to weather this pandemic in the weeks and the, the months ahead depends on how well we take care of one another. And we want to ensure that caregivers across the province have the supports that they need. I encourage anyone in the caregiver community to reach out, whether it's through the online community or the toll-free support line, Please get the help that you need to ensure that you are cared for with as much compassion as you would treat anyone in your own care. And on behalf of Premier Kenny and all Albertans, I want to honour and acknowledge the important service that caregivers provide. Thank you for all that you do. We recognise and value your contributions. Please use the services of Caregivers Alberta and keep up the amazing work. I'll now allow uh, Dr Hinshaw to give her uh, her daily uh, update. Dr Hinshaw. Thank you, Minister. Uh, thank you. 
we have identified 138 new cases of COVID-19 in Alberta in the last 24 hours. The vast majority are in the Calgary zone, where we have increased testing over the past several days in order to identify opportunities to limit spread, given that this zone has consistently had the highest rates of illness. I anticipate we will have more information later this week about what this increased testing is showing us. This brings the total number of cases to 1,870. Of these, 914 people have recovered. This is 37 more than yesterday. While we are seeing a steady rise in recovered cases in the province, we should also expect to see a rise of cases in the coming days as a result of expanded testing. We have completed 2,868 COVID tests in the last 24 hours. Sadly, I must report two additional deaths from COVID-19. This includes one new death at the Mackenzie Town Continuing Care Facility. There have now been 21 deaths at this facility. The other death occurred at Shepherd's Care Kensington Facility in Edmonton. To the family and friends of these people, and to all who have recently lost loved ones to any cause, I offer my deep condolences. While we can start to become numb to these numbers as time goes on, each one of these individuals had a life that mattered and people who loved them. And it is in order to prevent further losses that we are focusing measures on these high-risk areas. There have now been 214 cases, including 30 deaths, in continuing care facilities in this province. I know that many Albertans have concerns about their loved ones at these facilities. I hear their concerns and want to assure them that we are doing everything possible to help seniors and other vulnerable individuals living and working in these facilities to stay as safe as possible. On Friday, I announced new measures to limit the spread, including requiring all workers in continuing care and designated supportive living facilities to work at only one site. Work is underway to implement this in a way that also ensures facilities have enough staff to safely care for residents. We are testing any staff or resident who display any symptoms at continuing care facilities. Any resident who has a routine interface with staff is being actively screened daily for symptoms. This includes a temperature check as well as questions and observations about their health. Staff in these facilities who need to be within two meters of others during the course of their work are required to wear face masks for the duration of their shift. We have also implemented mandatory enhanced cleaning and disinfection requirements and mandatory outbreak protocols to protect staff and residents. Alberta Health Services continues to closely monitor every confirmed outbreak, working with the facility to provide supports to limit the spread and ensure proper outbreak protocols are in place. This also extends to any suspect or probable outbreaks and begins at the first onset of any symptoms in a resident or staff member. If we need to modify our approach in future, we will do so. Protecting the health of residents and staff in these facilities is our top priority. I know that many Albertans may be tired of hearing about COVID-19 and thinking about how to respond. Our hair may be getting shaggy, our tempers may be getting short, and those of us with young children may be running out of ideas on how to entertain them at home. 
We are missing spending time with friends and family, and many are struggling to make ends meet with the impact these measures have had on workplaces. For all of us, I wonder if one of the hardest things to manage is the uncertainty looking forward and the fact that we can't yet make plans for when life will return to more normalcy. I am guessing that all Albertans want their lives back and as soon as possible. COVID-19 is an unprecedented pandemic and it has impacted every one of us. We are all grieving in some way. I know some Albertans are grieving the loss of loved ones and this is the hardest grief of all. Other Albertans are grieving the loss of jobs, income or health. Some are grieving the loss of control and the close physical connection to others that we all crave. We are all mourning the normalcy we once knew. During these times, it is a natural reaction to experience different expressions of this grief, including anger, bargaining, denial, and even depression. These are all normal reactions and responses. We all must process the losses caused by this new situation and the changes to our everyday lives we now face. As a physician, I know that the experience of grief is highly personal and also that it changes over time. We can be there for each other through this, holding each other up when we need it. This will not last forever. Part of looking forward is adjusting to a level of uncertainty when it comes to planning for the future. Many are wondering when we'll be able to plan family gatherings, take vacations and schedule other important life events. Now that we've been able to significantly expand testing to provide more robust data, I hope to provide some more structured timelines soon to the Emergency Management Coordination Committee of Cabinet for them to consider next steps going forward. Even still, it's important to remember that the COVID-19 pandemic will all be dealing with for some while. There may be certain habits brought on by our new normal, such as frequent hand washing, that should be applied for the foreseeable future. Large social gatherings are another thing that may take a while to return. We have seen from cases here in Alberta that large social gatherings carry significant risk for transmitting the virus. For those who have made plans for weddings or other large gatherings in the next few months, I would strongly encourage you to consider postponing or at least planning for smaller gatherings should the orders for mass gatherings remain in effect. I realize this is not welcome news and I share in your frustration at the situation. Believe me when I say I wish it were within my power to give everyone back the life they had three months ago. Without that power, what we do have is each other and the basic measures to prevent spread that will be with us for months to come. The most important steps we can take to prevent the spread of infection remain the same. Consistent adherence to good hygiene, such as regular hand washing, staying home whenever possible, particularly if you are feeling ill, and practicing physical distancing when you do need to go out are the best ways to keep yourself and those around you healthy. These practices continue to be critical in the coming weeks. I would like to end by thanking the many Albertans who are caring for loved ones with health issues, including but not limited to those with COVID-19. Caregivers, as the minister said, play an essential role in our healthcare system, and I am pleased our government is providing them with additional supports. 
If you are part of this diverse workforce that provides care for loved ones dealing with illnesses, mental health issues, disabilities or other needs, thank you for your hard work and dedication. If you were looking for resources or information on the supports announced by the Minister today, visit caregiversalberta.ca. Thank you, and I'll be now happy to take questions. Operator, could you please patch through the first question? Operator, could you try it one more time? Hi, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Hi, uh, sorry, first question is Rafi Butchitanian with CBC. Go ahead, Rafi. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Yesterday, Premier Kenny spoke on power and politics. He implied bureaucracy was preventing an early response and that Dr. Tam was at one point using the same talking point as China. Do you think that Dr. Tam has been wrong in the guidance she has provided the province? Uh, so I unfortunately um, did not see that, so I think it would be hard for me to comment on the, the Premier's remarks uh, without having seen what he'd said, so perhaps that would be a question for the Premier. Excellent. Operator, could you please patch through the next question? Next question is Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Emma. Yeah, good day, Dr. Henshaw. Um, I know you get a lot about masks, and I'm just going to go ahead and do another question for you. Um, how confident are you that people outside the, the AHS system, and in particular long, those in long-term care, have the um, N95 respirators that they need? I'm just curious about whether they can definitely get their hands on those. Sure, so uh, N95 masks are a particular kind of mask that's used for protection against aerosol transmitted infections. Uh, and so those masks are needed in very particular settings where an aerosol generating medical procedure would be happening and most often those are in hospitals. So for example, when someone isn't able to breathe and they're intubated, so where a, a tube is put down their throat to help them with breathing, that would be a process that would generate aerosol and so the healthcare workers who are doing that procedure would require N95 masks. However, N95 masks are not uh, required when someone is providing typical care to a patient. So even in healthcare settings, uh, the most common type of mask, a surgical or procedural mask, is what's needed to protect against droplet spread. And again, COVID-19 is spread through droplets, uh, except for in those particular circumstances with aerosol generating medical procedures. So anyone who's outside of a healthcare facility, again, unless there's a very specific procedure that they're involved with in that uh, is similar to intubation or something like that, uh, would not require N95 masks. And so I know our Provincial Operations Centre and Alberta Health Services are working very closely together to make sure that anyone who's asked uh, for some kind of a personal protective equipment supply get the supply that they need that's appropriate to the interactions that they have with people who may be infected. Uh, so again, not everyone who um, asks for an N95 mask needs that. And really, for the most part, people uh, in general settings would need a procedural mask. I believe the Minister of Health has some additional information. Yep. Uh, 
Thanks, Emma. Just to supplement that answer from Dr. Henshaw, just uh, a couple points to make. And uh, I think the first one is just to reiterate the, um, what uh, both Premier and I said on Saturday is that this province has enough PPE, including the N95 mask, in, in our modeling and our, um, our estimates of what we're going to need for this pandemic and our response to it. And then the second is also that, that we do have processes in place and we look forward to working with um, the Provincial Operations Centre, but as well AHS. Um, you know, AHS is our central procurement agency who is going to be purchasing all of this equipment for us. And then it's going to be distributed either by AHS for, for healthcare workers and uh, allied professionals um, or through the Provincial Operations Centre. Some physicians' offices may receive their equipment from their, their local uh, primary care network. But we do have processes in place for folks to let us know what the requirements are, what their needs are, and so that we can uh, get that equipment distributed to them as quickly as possible. Operator, could you please put through the next question? This is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi, this is a question for Dr. Hinshaw. We've been informed by the union representing workers at the Cargill plant in High River that 38 people have tested positive for COVID-19. Can you confirm the status of testing for workers at that facility, and should that facility be closed? So uh, with respect to local public health investigations, the frontline uh, Alberta Health Services Medical Officers of Health have that data. I am aware that that particular plant has had several cases and that my colleagues, the medical officers of health at the frontline in Calgary zone are working with the plant operator to make sure that all appropriate processes are followed at the plant and that workers are kept safe. Uh, and so anyone who is, as is very typical with any public health investigation, uh, anyone who was a close contact of someone who's now tested positive uh, would be asked to be on or would be required, I should say, to be on uh, quarantine or, or home isolation for two weeks from the last contact. And so again, I know that Alberta Health Services is working to make sure that that's happened with any of the other workers who were exposed and that appropriate controls are in place in the facility uh, so that with those workers who were not exposed, they can continue to work safely. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, this question is for Dr. Hinshaw. Um, BC's top doctor has said that the rate of false negatives there is as high as 30%. How big of an issue um, is that in Alberta and what's being done to deal with that? I'm sorry, did you say the British Columbia physician has said that 30% false negatives? So I hadn't heard that statistic before, and I certainly have not um, seen any data that would indicate that our false negative rate is as high as 30%. Uh, so I think that will be something that I'll have to follow up with BC about and understand uh, what kinds of processes they're using and, and if it's similar to ours, compare our data. Uh, we do occasionally get false negatives where someone tests negative initially and then on retest they do test positive. Uh, however, our, our guidelines really um, at the moment minimize risk in the sense that I 
want to remind people if they do go for a COVID test uh, and they test negative, they should still stay home until they're feeling well. And so even if they have something like influenza or another virus that causes those same symptoms, they should not be going out in public with, with uh, sickness like fever or cough. Um, so those recommendations, again, would mitigate the, the risk for negative tests, but it is interesting. I, I hadn't heard that from BC. That hasn't been shared on our national calls. Uh, so I'll follow up and we'll make sure that we get back to you in that. Operator, could you please put in another question? This is Jeff Slack with 660 News. Go ahead, Jeff. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm just wondering uh, what kind of plan is in place for people who are asymptomatic and if there's anything going on to try to um, find those people to, to stop a possible second wave of this virus. So we know from some other countries uh, who have done a very kind of active finding when testing people, even people who don't have symptoms, uh, that there are people who, who do test positive, uh, many of whom in, in again, the, the case series that have been reported, eventually do go on to have some symptoms. What our testing strategy is focusing on is those who are at highest risk of transmitting are those who have symptoms. And so you will know that just yesterday we were able to expand our testing eligibility to anyone across the province who's experiencing any symptoms related to COVID-19. If we do have capacity in our lab left over uh, after we're able to do all of that testing for all symptomatic Albertans, uh, then we can consider testing those who do not have symptoms. One of the challenges if we were to embark on testing of, of people with no symptoms uh, is that it's really only a snapshot in time. And so if you think about I'll, I'll say, for example, if you have someone who's tested positive and we identify uh, 10 close contacts of that person and we test all of them at that moment, they still would need to be under isolation for 14 days, whether they test positive or negative, because if they test negative at that moment in time, at that snapshot, they may still be incubating and go on to develop disease. So a negative test in someone who's asymptomatic does not mean for sure that they haven't been exposed to the virus. So again, uh, testing asymptomatic people would be an additional layer that we would put on top of our current testing protocol should we have the capacity to do so. Uh, and we're currently discussing where strategically might be the best place to utilize that capacity if we still have uh, enough after we complete this current expansion. Operator, could you please put through another question? Next is James Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, James. Hi there. Well, we're looking at um, the single site rule for long-term care homes. Um, are temp agencies included in that? Uh, I know that some care homes have been using temp agencies to backstop cases where staff are off sick. Um, and if so, sort of what are the challenges in terms of maintaining staffing um, as, again, people are seeing a reduction in, in who's available uh, because of this rule? Yeah, absolutely. And we are well aware of the challenges of, of maintaining enough staffing. Uh, and so again, that's why when we 
put in place the order on Friday. We gave uh, a week to plan and then another week to move forward to full implementation so that we are able to take into account all of those variables. So uh, with temp agencies, if they're sending staff into a designated supportive living or long-term care facility would be impacted by this change. Uh, and so the specifics of exactly how those temp agencies would be able to operate, um, that's part of what's being discussed this week as we're working out those details of making sure that we are balancing appropriately the ability to have enough staff to care for residents while minimizing that risk of staff moving between facilities. So again, that's that's part of all of the discussions that are underway this week with the, the ministry and the associations that provide uh, seniors care. Excellent. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Jennifer Lee with CBC. Go ahead, Jennifer. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, you know, some long-term care facilities in the province are struggling with outbreaks. I'm just wondering, are you considering the idea of testing all residents and staff in an effort to help them uh, with these outbreaks and um, potentially even redeploying uh, medical staff from hospitals there, something similar to what we've seen in Quebec? And if not, what would be the threshold for a move like that? So with respect to testing all staff and residents, again, I want to emphasize that anyone with any symptoms absolutely is tested as quickly as possible and isolated. Uh, with respect to testing asymptomatic residents and staff, uh, again, I just want to emphasize that really is only a snapshot. So you can test someone who's asymptomatic and they test negative. It's possible that the next day they could go on to uh, develop symptoms or you know, if you tested them every day, they, they could become positive over time. So any attempt to uh, add our testing in those facilities, add asymptomatic people to that testing would have to be really carefully planned. The danger is if you get a negative result on an asymptomatic person um, and you then think, well, the next day if they develop a bit of a cough, you think, oh, that's no problem, they just tested negative. You, you can't rely again on a negative test in an asymptomatic person to be a predictor of what will happen over the coming days. So we are considering how we might utilize enhanced testing in long-term cares. Uh, we know that some other jurisdictions have gone ahead and are doing uh, mass testing in long-term cares, uh, but we want to make sure that we're using our tests in the most strategic way possible and that it doesn't actually uh, cause us to miss problems by using that negative test result as a, a reassurance that we shouldn't um, take. And in fact, what we're doing is saying we need to have very high levels of vigilance for any illness. We have all staff masking at all times uh, and if we do have the uh, ability and we think that it's it's warranted because these tests are not comfortable and so they do cause discomfort for residents and staff uh, so if we were going to be asking them to be tested when they're asymptomatic uh, it would be something that we would need to make sure had benefit to them and to these facilities and was not um, again more risk than benefit operator we'll take three more questions could you please put through the next one please Next is Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hi there, Dr. Hinshaw. We were just looking at the federal government site, and it has Canada's community spread at about 74% of cases. Alberta's has stayed below 50. Why is there such a discrepancy? Does it have to do with health officers really digging in to try and find a link to travel? And is community spread still a concern in Alberta since the numbers have stayed steady for more than a week? So, 
My understanding with respect to the way that community spread is defined nationally versus our, our specific definition when we say the, the numbers that seem to be related to community spread, um, the national numbers I think are referring to anyone who's acquired the illness within the country, and that would include close contacts of returning travelers, close contacts of known cases who acquired their illness within the country. Uh, what we've been focusing on when we talk about our numbers are the cases that emerge with no known links to previously diagnosed cases or those who have a, a travel history. So ours is sort of a smaller subset of all those who would have acquired disease within the province. And so I know that can be confusing when you're, we're using slightly different definitions, uh, but we are seeing more of our cases uh, coming up, especially as we've expanded our testing criteria over the last week. We are seeing more cases where we're not sure where they got it from, and that's where, again, we need to really dig into where we're seeing patterns of spread, uh, and despite all of the measures we've put in place, what are those places that continue to be risk areas so that we can identify and interrupt those chains of transmission, and that's the work we're, we're currently doing based on this expansion of testing over the last uh, five days or so. Operator, could you please put through another question? Yeah, that question is Dylan Short with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead, Dylan. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, we've seen a lot of talk in the last 24 hours about um, different uh, medicines and, and medication. We know that there's no approved medication for COVID-19 at this time or, or cure or vaccine or anything of that nature, but I was just wondering, with clinical trials going on in different countries around the world, and, and we've seen that there's not a clinical trial here in, here in Alberta, who makes the final decision on when a clinical trial can go forward in Alberta? Uh, so with respect to clinical trials, the rules around those trials are, are governed by um, the human research ethics. And so uh, the, the government certainly has a role to play in terms of uh, supporting or encouraging research in particular areas. Uh, but in terms of being able to go ahead with a particular trial, that really follows a process where if a researcher wants to um, institute a trial in the province, they need to go through one of the research ethics board in the province to make sure that their protocol will not put people inadvertently at risk. Uh, they would need to make sure that they have access to the product that's being tested. Uh, and then appropriate approvals would need to be uh, given from, again, all of those bodies. And we are working with different researchers who've come to the government to say they're interested in exploring different options. Uh, and they're, as you say, there is a trial that is underway in Alberta that has received funding from the government. And so uh, we are, again, our research and innovation team um, has been evaluating different proposals, but ultimately the decision of whether or not a trial goes forward is really about does it meet all of the ethical standards uh, and is it something that will provide value? And that is an independent sort of research ethics board decision. We've got time for one more. Operator, could you please put through the last question? Last question is Madeline Smith with the Calgary Herald. Go ahead, Madison. Madeline. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, I was just on a, on a cursory look at the numbers from today. It looks like there's a higher percentage of positive tests compared to the overall tests that were done. Um, is this just a blip or is this an indication that the 
percentage of positive tests coming back is going up? And is there something about, about Calgary that's contributing to that? Yeah, I know you're right that the percent positivity is slightly higher today and uh, we have been seeing an upward trending in Calgary uh, that we're keeping a really close eye on and that again the majority of the cases, so we reported 128 cases today that combines both probable and lab confirmed and 128 of the 138 are all in Calgary. Uh, so again we are watching that very very closely and I expect that we will have more data available uh, by the end of the week to be able to understand what is happening in that area and why there's that higher positivity rate there than we're seeing in other parts of the province. Excellent. Thank you all for coming. Uh, we'll provide another update on COVID-19 tomorrow. Have a good afternoon. All right, you've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw give her daily update on uh, the COVID-19 pandemic in Alberta. It started with the Health Minister, Tyler Shandro, uh, taking the podium and thanking family caregivers and talking about a, a $3 million grant that has been uh, provided to um, Caregivers Alberta to expand their services um, to um, better offer province-wide support and uh, more access on the phone line that sort of thing. In the province today, 138 new cases. And as you just heard Dr. Hinshaw say, 128 of them are in Calgary and they're trying to figure out why that is, is happening. Um, those 138 new cases bring the total cases in the province to 1,870. We've had two more deaths bringing the total uh, to 48 in the province. One of them at uh, the Mackenzie Town Continuing Care Facility in Calgary, which has had 21 deaths so far, and another one at Shepherd's Care in Edmonton. 30 of the deaths... Um, have been in, in continuing care facility and we know and we've seen this across the country as we've watched this pandemic unfold that that has been a real challenge for caregivers um, continuing continuing care facilities has been a real difficulty uh, we'll take a break here at 412 we'll come back lots to uh, crunch on there and we'll we'll take another look at some of the things that dr. Hinshaw said and what we can expect um, in the coming days uh, she was talking about more testing. She was talking about, you know, what postponing events into the summer. Some things to think about. She's urging you to do it.